Hello everyone, welcome to You, Me, Them, Everybody. My name is Brandon Weatherby. On February 29th, 2020, I had a 12-hour marathon show because it was the 12th year of this show. And I had over 30 guests come and it was a blast and it happened to be the last live show we did in 2020 due to the pandemic. So, the next 30 days or so, I'm checking in with pretty much everyone that was on that show. Today is with Jesse Mornerit. Jesse is a hilarious comedian. At the time of that recording, she was in New York City. We originally met in Washington, D.C. Now she is in Los Angeles. All of that is covered in the podcast. If you want to listen to uh, Jesse's show from February 29th, 2020, it's in the Spotify and iTunes feed. It's also on You, Me, Them, Everybody. Also, there is a link to our Patreon account. If you have the means, please consider donating at youmethemeverybody.com. It's also in this podcast description. I enjoyed this conversation immensely. I think you could tell. Here's Jesse. Well, it sounds great. It's nice to talk to you. It's nice to talk to you. I have not seen you in almost a year. I know. I can't believe when you sent me that email being like, it's been a year. Yeah. I was like, oh, we can't think about it like that now, can we? <laughs> I think we should. I think we have to acknowledge it. <laughs> You, yeah. A lot of things have changed in your life. Not a lot has changed in my life. I'm still in Washington, D.C. When I saw you, you were kind enough to come from New York City to do the show and a bunch of other shows. And you are no longer in New York City. Yeah, I'm in L.A. Why? Well, first off, I was my family's here. I was mm-hmm. always kind of thinking about moving here at some point um, to be with my family. And then, you know, I'm sure much like a bunch of people family shit got really bad during the quarantine so um i decided to move here to make sure that i like wouldn't be far away um during that and and my boyfriend's here on a lighter note you have to be able to be fucked consistently during um such a hard time so you know long distance is uh no longer on the table during a pandemic so when did you move I moved officially in October. Okay. Do you wish you had done it earlier or you enjoyed that fancy and fun summer New York style and then decided to leave (laughs) once it got cold? Yeah. yeah, I I really kind of uh, pussy footed the whole thing and really (laughs) uh, tried to soak up, tried to soak up the last good um, that I could of New York and then came here. So I think it was kind of the ideal time. Good for you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And you still... You have a child, but it's probably older now. That's correct. It's exactly one year older. Oh, my God. And um, is it freaked out by what's happening, or it's actually in kind of the perfect spot because yeah, it just like gets it, to coast? It's this weird window where I'm actually in a better spot than most because he's had COVID in his life. He doesn't have COVID, but he's had COVID in his life more than he hasn't at this point. He's 19 months yeah. old. So wow. he's not freaked out at all by masks. He's not freaked yeah. out by like the distance part it, it's to him this is all he knows so it's a weird window situation now was that a cat or a leaf blower that's a leaf blower a i leaf do blower. have a cat i saw this article headline this morning that was like adults are like more unhappy in covid than kind of anyone else and i was like yeah yeah right yeah obviously well here's the thing <laughs> i what are you talking about i'm 38 <laughs> you're in your 20s and uh-huh. I think that the most miserable folks are like 13 to 19. Yeah. So that's not adults, but that's like I am 
my hormones are out of control. I think mm-hmm. I'm smarter than I actually am. And now I can't see the people I need to see. And I'm afraid that once this is over, once it's relatively safe, we're just going to have a bunch of people in that like five year range, like committing the dumbest mistakes that they wouldn't have made otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also used to babysit a, um, she's now like 12, but I was FaceTiming with her kind of like early on in the pandemic. And I was like, well, do you get to like FaceTime with your friends and hang out? And she was like, yeah, but before when we would hang out, we would sit together and watch TikToks and it's not really fun to be on FaceTime watching TikToks. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I wanted to be like, well, maybe that means also you should find different activities <laughs> with those you who are, you are close to, but it wasn't for me to tell her no, that. It's so not. I just uh, empathized. What did certainly. you do as an 11 year old? with your friends as an 11 year old yeah man i think we like i like grew up where there were like horses around okay so we kind of were like riding around and going swimming it was very you know suburban rich idyllic type stuff and here's what i love about you the last time we talked I think the majority of the conversation, not just with you, but literally everyone on the show that day, there were over 30 guests, was uh-huh. focused around Bernie Sanders' recent primary win, and everyone was convinced that Bernie oh was going to win the God. nomination. And yeah. very, very, very few people were worried about coronavirus. You came to the show from New York. I think it was a bus or an Amtrak. It doesn't matter. You had come yeah. with a cold. I think you referenced COVID, but no one was taking it seriously because it was just like, whatever. This is silly. And now... We're still in the midst of that. Bernie is in a relatively good position within the Biden administration uh, and Senate in, uh, places in the Senate. Clearly not the president. Uh, we've had a failed coup since then. We've had an election. Lots of stuff has happened. Um, but throughout all of it, I still believe that you're as leftist as you've ever been. And you yet at the same time, <laughs> you don't deny your white privileged uh, background. Yeah, and you know, probably if uh, certain podcast listeners tuned into yours, they'd say, if you know, the, the fact that I'm still supporting Bernie means I can't be as leftist as I claim to be. Because you gotta, uh, I think people really want to watch everything just fucking burn. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you believe but, that right now? I don't know. You know, I was reading um, Huey P. Newton's book about like uh, his biography that Mm -hmm. he wrote about like revolutionaries and this idea that like even the most uh, kind of cynical people that he was surrounded by, these people who like really hated what was happening and had like complete distaste for everything, rightfully so, like they still had uh they still he quoted nietzsche they still had an arrow born for the for a deeper shore like they still knew that even though they like hated everything they had to like work towards uh a vision of something better Mm -hmm. so you know i'm useless i like work in like a customer service job uh still pursuing comedy when it's dead so i don't think i'm necessarily the person to be like oh yeah we like gotta have hope because there's like hope out there but i also don't believe that like just hoping everything burns uh 
or like you know say like saying that AOC is like a sellout nerd is like the answer. Here, here's the thing: whenever anyone mentions the Black Panther Party to me, I <laughs> you just did you knew you knew it was yeah like, yeah um, I am instantly it puts a smile on my face because to me the Black Panther Party is the most revolutionary um, group that achieved very substantial goals through very basic, easy-to-understand ideals. They had a program where they fed kids breakfast before school. That is not mm-hmm. complicated. That is direct totally. action. That is hope with action. You c- There's a clear line, a very clear line of who's in the White House right now and the Black Panther Party. Without the Black Panther Party, Harold Washington does not become mayor of Chicago. Without Harold Washington becoming mayor of Chicago, Barack Obama does not go to Chicago and go into politics. Without Obama, we don't have Biden as president. This all connects. So the idea that AOC is a seller in any way because she's helping raise money for people in Texas is absurd. She's playing the game in the exact same way the Black Panther Party played the game. Direct action, helping those that need the help and rising all ships. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, I do think that a lot of people, because like I was raised super neoliberal, but like I was under the impression that I was like pretty progressive, even though I was not even through college, I would say that I still was like neoliberal and not fully like grasping um, the significance of certain institutions and like uh, more so thinking that like if you get the right people in them, they can operate, which I don't necessarily agree with anymore. But I like remember learning about the Black Panthers and it really was um, discussed to me as like a a, a violent group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is just like kind of the mainstream narrative about them. Of and course. then when you are reading like about why they used guns in their community to protect against like corrupt police officers, even just on these like small instances where like police would raid a home and then the Black Panthers would show up with guns and the police would leave. Mm -hmm. It's like they had to do that. That's like, that is why people should have guns. Not that I necessarily think I'm coming on here to advocate for guns, but (laughs) now I'm on here saying it. Yeah. (laughs) Now I'm kind of on here saying we all need guns. (laughs) I think the Black Panther, the way the Black Panthers used guns to me, once again, is beautiful. The Black Panthers use of guns was all about, hey, you know, we're only using these guns because you white people are fucking afraid of guns. All guns should be melted, in my humble opinion. The only and also all fireworks should be illegal unless you hit a home run. So that's these are my crazy ideas and it'll never happen. You yeah, I think the- all fireworks should be illegal unless you're a twelve year old boy who really wants to try. <laughs> <laughs> unless you really want to try one. <laughs> do you still care a lot about beliefs in theory? Because it seems that you do. Well, I think it's easier to be someone who believes in like belief about theory when you feel like pretty helpless and also like not hmm. tapped into like any sort of um I mean I'm like tr- I I'm certainly like trying to get involved with like certain action groups in LA and like the DSA um has been really helpful in that but I think that like you know what's interesting is the DSA offers these like Zoom classes where you discuss like theories and uh I would get I would be like riding such a high after them. And it's like, you've got to be careful of that high baby (laughs) because it is so intoxicating to, uh, I think I do like believe in theories, but I also am like someone who like can't remember facts, you know, (laughs) like a historical timeline. (laughs) So (laughs) like theories are nice for me because I'm like quoting like a general theory and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, totally. 
And they're like, could you tell us the year this happened? And I was like, no. Oh, my God. And I can't pronounce any words right either. I really hope I'm not laughing at you and I'm laughing with you. <laughs> no, no, no. I get that vibe, certainly. Um, And actually about just like on the topic of Black Panthers, I just watched this documentary yesterday called um, The American Revolution 2. And I, I don't know who directed it, but it was about like the protests outside of like the Chicago Democratic National Convention mm-hmm. in like 68. And they uh, they had the uh, this female Black Panther and she was talking and she was like, I'm a mother and I like hold my kid in one hand and I hold a gun in the other hand to just be like, I am here and like, don't fuck with me. And I was like, if that's not the coolest if that's not like the coolest thing in the world or like completely put like changes your perspective, I don't know what will. See, I respectfully disagree. If anything, I think that reinforces racist perspectives. And, and, and to me, that's how you get phrases like black girl magic, which is in theory a, a wonderful thing. But if you break it down, it's actually um, a com- compartmentalization of an entire gender and race and it makes work seem magical instead of hard and earned does that make sense yeah and i mean i think definitely that like if you just took that clip and which i just did um (laughs) to put on here but i do think that like if you take that um and just look at it as this like magical inspirational thing i certainly think all it does is like reinforce this like gendered like racist narrative Mm -hmm. but what i also think it does like i think if i had been younger and i had seen that i would have been like because i when i was like in history classes in high school i was just seeing like a bunch of men with guns Mm -hmm. and like seeing her talk she was talking at like a um a community action meeting with like the white working class in chicago and i think if you see it in that context you're like and you had seen previously all of like the violence inflicted upon her community you're like right damn like you need that protection you need that you shouldn't have to need it but you do and you're not like shying away from it yeah but once again that's incredibly depressing (laughs) well yeah but i think like it at least is um a broader picture than what a lot of people Maybe I'm speaking too much from my own experience, but from what like me and a lot of my peers growing up had of the Black Panthers as like white suburban kids. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how the Black Panther Party will be perceived 50 years from now. And I know that you're huge into the Golden Globes, but um, <laughs> the Aaron Sorkin Black Panther, oh, sorry, the trial of Chicago 7 uh, was nominated for a bunch of stuff. And there's that new Black Panther movie on HBO Max and all this stuff. And now, which 50, I hear is amazing. Fifty-two years later, fifty-three years later, they're being portrayed as heroes, and it'll be very interesting to see in fifty years how that whole era is represented. I have no idea, and that's a wonderful. I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think also you're going to have a huge resurgence of, you know, the young women during this time who have found the Jane Fonda 82 workouts on YouTube and, you know, that's breathing life into them. And then they watch the trial of Chicago seven and they say, Tom Hayden, you mean Jane Fonda's ex? Okay. I'm hooked. I don't know if you're joking right now. (laughs) I'm hooked. (laughs) I'm partially joking and partially I really couldn't believe the connection when I found out. (laughs) Oh, you didn't know that stuff? No. See, that's the thing. I'm a little older than you and I come from the A little. 
Yeah, I'm 38. I'm 30. How old are you? 26. Yeah, perfect. It's it's a perfect (laughs) breakdown because I do believe that you grew up with the internet. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I, the older I get, I don't think I used the internet properly, and I'm trying to like reorient myself towards it. Why, why do you say that? I just don't think I like research. I like a lot of people my age have a lot of context for these like YouTube videos that they used to watch as a kid, and like all this stuff they were watching and looking at, and like I don't know if I was what what I was doing, like looking out a window or something, but I just like didn't see it. I like don't. I wasn't like on the internet in the same way. And I think it actually stunted me. That's an interesting take. Um, Yeah, that's very interesting. I wonder how it's going to be if there's a right or wrong way to use the internet, because when you don't grow up with it, it's all brand new, but you're also of the age where you're able to pick stuff up quicker than pretty much any adult. So the internet really wasn't prevalent until high school. And I didn't have a computer in high school until senior year. And it was given to me from a friend's dad. Like it was really? an old work computer that was like 10 years old. And it had the Adobe suite on it, like a really outdated one. So that's how I made my first zine when I was 17. I used like an old like computer from a magazine. And then you like, but you just knew about zines because you were like reading them and like picking them up. At, I made like, a zine without knowing stuff. they were a zine because Abby. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I didn't know it was a zine until like three months after I had put it in everyone's locker because I was the editor of my high school paper and got kicked off of it because I published a bunch of stuff that they didn't like because I went to a Catholic <laughs> school and I was like freedom right. of press. They're like, it's a private school, idiot. And I was like, touche. So I started a zine. And then I put mm-hmm. it in everyone's locker, and then I got chastised for that. Doesn't matter. The point is, I've never stopped doing that, and I'm 38 now. But picking up Abby Hoffman's steal this book at like a local Borders when I was mm-hmm. 15, 16, that changed my life in ways that I didn't expect. And I only got that because of Nirvana, and I only connected to the two because of their work for the Bosnian rape victims from '92, which like, and that puts the Jane Fonda thing in my orbit. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, yeah. And see, I mean, for me, I was the opinions editor publishing breaking pieces like about the dress code that was was it uh, I would say not read by teachers, not on anyone's radar. (laughs) And that's because I was simple. I was a simple little I was a simple little thing moving through the world. (laughs) And so this makes me wonder, are you going to let your kid kind of have full reign of the internet and also my follow-up question to that is are you gonna make your kid watch tv shows and movies that are actually i think like meant for kids but pure of heart and not corporatized like i just watched robert altman's popeye i think that's Mm. a children's movie and it's like the most pure of heart movie um untainted by really anything but now all I had as a kid was like corporatized characters. Even though Popeye is a corporatized character. Well, when you put Robin Williams in it, he suddenly loses all ties to it. He becomes Marxist. <laughs> or just high on cocaine. Yeah. Which the ultimate kind of testament. Um, <laughs> I actually think that you, you were probably a more successful editor than I was in high school because you were actually giving the people what they wanted. And I was just trying to like poke the bear. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably but would have had a better career in this than me. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. But so do you think you're going to let your kid kind of have full reign of the internet and TV shows? Or are you going to kind of like 
select things for them or gently push them towards that. Well, gently push hands down. I mean, my kid is named mm-hmm. after a character in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know? And <laughs> right. I'm like, and to me, that's my guiding star. When I'm mm-hmm. agnostic, atheist, whatever, I'm, I'm an agnostic, but I say atheist just so I don't have that conversation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So not having a religion, not having any of that stuff, uh, I love, love, love a character like Mr. Rogers because what he does is right. He's always on the right side of history, and when he makes a mistake, mm-hmm. he fixes it, and that's a huge part of growing, and I think that's what's lacking in most everything, and, and that's how you get insane people storming the Capitol because they can't admit that, oh, I was wrong about something. Oopsies, it's okay. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. The idea I actually that, don't think they're fully insane. Great. <laughs> and we're going to stop it there. So, no. Um, <laughs> the idea that a young person could not enjoy the content that they want by the time they're like 10 because their parent is stopping it is almost absurd. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, all I could do is gently steer, and I plan to do that. But so, when you weren't able to have the laptop until senior year, was that. Oh, I didn't have something? a laptop until I was out of college. Okay. Or so, a computer. Yeah. I should. Uh, I was tethered spec- to a desk. Right. Yes. The desktop. Yeah. Um, and I can picture it in my mind. Uh, was that because partially like your parents were uh, not wanting that in the home? Was it a fact of not needing it? Oh, it was, was purely it, financial. Um, totally. We didn't have money and I was a scholarship kid at the high school. So I would use the computer at lunch slash library every day and like one of the things you had to do when you were a scholarship kid was uh work in the library for one of the periods or Mm -hmm. like you also had to like clean the tables after lunch which was the exact same punishment you got when you got detention so like there was no incentive it was like one of the best lessons i ever learned in life was like there's never an incentive to like not just do exactly what you want because your punishment is just the same as just being poor which you didn't choose anyways (laughs) yeah so fuck it do exactly what you want at all times (laughs) Just don't get the law involved. So, yeah, that was an important lesson I learned at 14. And so for four years, I worked in the library. And so that's what I used the computer. Like, that's where I use the computer. And this, I also, I, this is not a joke. I literally printed the tab, the guitar and bass tablature for like over 500 songs over my time there. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. And the librarians kind of watching you do that just smiled and imagined your future for you. <laughs> Yeah, they were cool. They liked me a lot, actually. I imagine they did. Yeah, I like them a lot, too. <laughs> the reason why I ask about the ID is because you went from three liberal bubbles. You went from D.C. to New York to L.A. And yeah. the the conversations that the majority of comics that I know in those three cities are having isn't so much of, am I left or right? Is this like, how far left should I be before it's the snake in its tail? So... Mm-hmm. That's why I was wondering about identification of self, especially when we're now in these forced bubbles where those comic interactions that like make one of the reasons why stand up is fun is now just not there. Totally. So has has your perception of self changed at all in the last year? Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly think there is uh, just not necessarily like outside of the political identification of self you're asking about but just the personal identification Mm -hmm. of self Mm -hmm. like you know doing bar shows every night was like a huge uh form of 
like validation and like a point of myself and like a point of my mind that like I have not figured out how to access outside of that. And so I think there is like a huge breakdown of like what even about me is worthwhile and uh, unique or like worth examining. Um, I think politically, I do think it's like still hard because, you know, even with, you know, me saying the people who stormed the Capitol were not totally insane is not me trying to be polemic or um, not saying what happened wasn't like awful and that they should have done that. But it's like those are people who are like really, really frustrated by the government and feeling like so helpless um and they went about it like completely the wrong way but it's like hard it is hard for me to like wonder like how left i can be and like how i even gauge where i fall politically when there is just like a whole mass of this country that i i don't know how they are experiencing things i don't want to be that makes sense i don't want to be the thing that i say i don't want to be but i'm going to be the thing i say i don't want to be here's why you're wrong you said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you said something that I've heard parroted a lot, and I understand why it, it, the people that's from the Capitol felt helpless. But that is important to a point. The perception of helpless doesn't matter when those there are those that are actually helpless, and no one that stormed the Capitol was actually helpless. You don't think that there's no. a world in which like they are from like a very like economically he- no. like helpless because even if they're economically helpless they still had the means to get to washington dc and do things that they know were inherently wrong and even if they didn't know they were inherently wrong come on guys um so no that's not actually helpless there are people that can't access stairs because they can't walk and they're a little bit more helpless than anybody that might be on hard times and it was predominantly white and i'm a straight white male in america a lot of the stuff it's like come on guys figure it out on your own stop blaming yourself look inwards just because things aren't going well doesn't mean you're helpless. You may feel helpless, and we should acknowledge that feeling, but that does not excuse any action. I don't think, yeah, I agree that it doesn't excuse any action, but it, just in terms of like identifying my own politics and like my own stance during this time, I, I do think there is like a full undermining of like, I don't know those people's reality and i think to just like write them off as like insane stupid rednecks is like the wrong uh course of dialogue oh, i never said that they were insane stupid rednecks right but i'm just saying that in reference to you being like oh i've heard what you said like parroted a lot like yes, i, I think it's that. being parroted in response to that narrative of okay. like they are insane stupid rednecks and i understand that but i think the frustration here is because there's actually so many more there's actually helpless people totally that anyways you said something that i think is very interesting and it's something that i never think about you said am i unique and is unique necessary um i guess maybe if you i guess maybe sometimes i conflate the word unique with having something valuable to say um in which case 
because I do think there there is something very necessary to if you want to be someone that people listen to in any capacity, whether they listen to laugh or like learn something or, you know, they're just listening to you to pass the time. There is a necessity for you to to be saying something like specific and genuine and uh, and real. And so I want I think maybe I was using unique to as like a blanket term for that. You're definitely using the word correctly when because you're talking about stuff that's specific, genuine, and real. That's yeah, it's mm-hmm. unique. You're using like it's completely perfect, <laughs> and th- that's why I think I like your stand up so much, even though I haven't seen it in a year. It's like it's very specific and genuine and real, even though there's some absurdity with it. it. It comes from a real place, it comes from your perspective, and literally no one else could do it but you. So I'm glad you did it, and I hope that you're able to do it again for obvious Thanks, pandemic Brandon. reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a time where I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to like write more and even find like joy within the stand-up shows that are on Zoom. Yeah. Um, But I think it also is just a weird time to be someone who was like middling at comedy, but like finding their way and not necessarily like, I don't think, I never thought I was going to be someone who found like success online or found like an audience through that way. Um, and now I'm wondering if that's even if there's even like an alternative, even when we are on the other side of this. Um, and I say on the other side of this kind of loosely, you know, because um, I don't really like hearing the term like, oh, when things go back to normal. But um, but I do just think it's like to be someone who is not going to find success on the Internet, there has to be like some sort of like reckoning with like the ego and like why even create stuff um and does it matter to create stuff if only like a small portion of people are gonna like hear and listen to it and why am i having this conversation with myself when i used to perform at shows you know like bar shows with like 12 people in the audience and feel like hugely um motivated by that um and connected (laughs) yeah yeah um so I think that's like certainly been like a, an interesting time of like self-identification uh, beyond uh, political thought as well. I'm so looking forward to when I get to see you in the same room. Yeah, it'll be really, really nice. Because you and a lot of people like you, I just, that's the stuff I'm missing because you, you, we live in very different cities. Um, yeah the only reason why I even know you is because of stuff like the show. And to me, that's why I do the show. And I'm assuming that like for a lot of the standup, that's probably why you do the standup too. You found your community, you found your tribe. And even if it's 12 people, that's amazing. And yeah, something so much more substantial than 12,000 likes or 120,000 likes that like in the same room at the same time, sharing Mm -hmm. a thing cannot be overestimated about how important it is and if anything over the last year that's become incredibly clear so i do think we're in a we're gonna have a roaring 20s and i'm i'm just hopeful that everyone in my orbit and your orbit is safe and gets there within reason yeah yeah absolutely i mean i'm just looking forward to when i can do a shot and look someone in the eyes while I'm doing a shot of alcohol and they're in a room that is not my own house. 
You, Me, Them, Everybody is Made by Me, Brandon Weatherby. Our theme music is by Daniel Knox. Our art is by Jillian Ron. You can hear all 13 years of shows at you, me, them, everybody.com. If you're listening to this in Spotify or on iTunes, the last year of episodes are available uh, with some sprinklings of the other ones. If you want the rest of the catalog, which features over 700 episodes, you, me, them, everybody.com. Our Patreon page is on our about page. It's all there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff at sign YMTE. Thanks for listening. I'll hug the places that you've been sleeping. Friends and family I'll be keeping. 